Let's give a round of applause for Great Plate Catering for the great lunch. Were you sleeping? Okay, now begins our question and answer period after I tell you what's happening next week. Next week, whoops, I did something to the slides. Next week, our speaker is Reagan Boychuk, and he's talking about is the sun setting on Alberta's conventional oil and gas producers? <clears throat> okay, let's welcome back our speaker, Peter Imhoff. Please line up at the mic, and remember, keep your, keep your um, questions brief and to the point. And I see Terry's already lined up. Thank you. Thank you for your presentation, Peter. Thank you. Um, you didn't use uh, uh, strong language, but I gather there's some kind of revolution working its way through the, the uh, provincial ministry. Uh, you talk about uh, programs being defunded and, uh, and contracts uh, not being renewed and so on. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and I gather a, di a different vision from the provincial uh, minister. Um, can, you don't, it's not your job to speak for the government, but can you give me some clues about how the, what, what that vision is and how it differs from the, the vision of the past four years, for example? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, I'll just uh, bring up that one slide that speaks, I think, uh, more specifically to that. Um, can you hear okay? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the, currently we have a network of parent link centers across the province. I think there are 54, something like that, maybe 56 parent link centers across Alberta. Um, and they focus on supporting children and their caregivers, um, particularly during the early years, so zero to six years of the children. And um, the, the point really is uh, to have quality, evidence-based, consistent um, support services across the province. So that if you live in Edmonton or if you live in Pincher Creek, um, you, you get strong service uh, regardless. This network uh, started in 2004 and is now being discontinued and it will be replaced what at least internally, I don't know if they brand, will brand it like this, but internally it's been advertised or introduced as family resource networks. Now again this will cover all of Alberta, um, all regions and cities and rural areas and each of those centers is now a network where there is one hub which is sort of the information and referral hub. So if you don't know, you know you're struggling, you know you need help, but you don't know where to go, go to the hub. And then the hub works with service providers, what they call spokes. And then the hub um, can refer people to those spokes. People can also directly access those spokes. And those spokes are the variety of services. Now those services are um, planned to differ from the current parent link center in two significant ways. One is they will serve not only children from zero to six years, but children from zero to 18 years. So a longer, a wider scope in terms of the age range. 
and not only prevention and early intervention services, which was the language uh, previously used, but now they call it universal, targeted, and intensive. Um, so intensive is really sort of at the doorstep of child protection. So Children's Services is the ministry that is responsible for the child protection system. Probably one of the, one of the least favorite ministries for anybody to take on because as a government, you have responsibility for young children that are very vulnerable. Um, so it's a high-risk ministry. But um, their key point is to prevent, when they talk about prevention, they're very clear about what they're preventing. They're preventing child abuse, neglect, maltreatment. And as families get closer to the risk threshold where children may have to be apprehended, they want to invest more strongly towards that threshold so that they can intervene before children are apprehended, even in situations that are already very marginal. So wider age range, more severe situations. Um, that is, from my perspective, the change in um, scope, the change in approach, as far as I can see. Carol Darmody. Um, what percentage of the, the um, families and children would be new immigrants? Uh, ones in the Lethbridge area, and especially the one, the refugees from war-torn areas. Uh, if you could comment on what's being done, if if you're seeing many families at this stage yeah. from other countries. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah, really, really good question. Um, that's definitely a, um, a priority area um, that is uh, closely monitored. Um, by funders and especially the city, uh, because uh, uh, you know the the city is it's locally where we see uh, those where we see families uh, newcomers and especially refugee families uh, with uh, you know sometimes very very um, difficult backgrounds. Um, so the, when you look at the overall numbers, the the fraction is not very high, uh, especially when you look at the refugee population. Maybe if you if you you know it's two thousand people, that's maybe two percent. Right, so it's not a large fraction. Um, we see some of those families in our services, um, but there are a variety of services. Some services are more are more universal, where they're they're suited for in any sort of family. Some services are more intensive, where um, maybe it's easier to overcome language barriers, where it's easier to overcome cultural barriers. I don't know how to act in a room full of people where everybody's giving hugs and I don't have men touch me. Um, where, where that is a factor. Um, so those services that are more intense uh, tend to be the services that are more strongly utilized. And um, one of the person in the audience here is uh, Rose Bursma, uh, who is um, uh, executive director of an in-home family support program. And so that would be a program, for example, um, that would be more strongly utilized. I will say a couple more things about that. One is for the, for the immediate, after immediately landing in Lethbridge, there are there is federal support in place, and LFS Immigrant Services does a, a just wonderful job uh, serving those newcomers. And because they have a very strong relationship with that organization, a lot of work gets done through LFS Immigrant Services. And 
um, a really beautiful example of just how collaborative and how awesome we work together in this community is when the Bhutanese refugees arrived, or the Nepalese Bhutanese, when that situation came to Lethbridge, I think it was 2011, um, I started work at Family Center in 2012. LFS, Immigrant Family Services, approached other service providers and said, hey, you know what, we've got this influx, we've got these people, we've never dealt with this before, help us. And Family Center and LFS Immigrant Services said, okay, we're going to develop a specific parenting program for newcomers to, family, to Canada. And so we started offering this in 2012, and we're still offering it now. In the beginning, it was for Bhutanese. Um, then we um, moved over to Syrian refugees, and so we are talking all the time with LFS Immigrant Services, what is the relevant population right now? And we, we continue to collaborate across organizations to serve the people that are in our community, because that's, at the end of the day, what it comes down to. Thanks for the question. Uh, thank you, Peter, for your uh, presentation. Maria Fitzpatrick speaking. Yeah. Um, when you talked about uh, the change in scope, uh, you talked about two things. One, uh, a much broader range in terms of years, and to me, it sounded like an increase in intensity of what needs to be done. Right. So having said that, do you see more dollars coming in to help you do that? No, we do not. Um, the, the provincial government was very clear and explicit about um, that they see this as a consolidation and cost-saving opportunity, where they see um, where their argument, the argument that is being made is that there was a um, locally um, very diverse, um, I guess fragmented is the word that would be used, um, allocation of funding towards contracts, and that through a streamlined uh, funding mechanism, which the Family Resource Network now is, they could economize because they, they avoid redundancy um, of funding. Mm -hmm. Overall, I think the, the idea is to save something of the order of $10 million um, in the prevention and early intervention line item. Okay, so there is a part B to this question. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, and what I'd like you to do is certainly keep us apprised if you're able to do uh, that job with the resources you have that are actually being cut. Because I worked in federal public service and I know you can't do more with less. So uh, anything I can do to support you to you know, uh, properly fund this, uh, just let me know but also let me know if you're able to do the job with what they're gonna give you. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Maria. Yeah. Thank you, Maria. No. Okay. No. <laughs> Hi, my name is Spencer, thanks for coming out. Um, if you look around the, the audience today, it's uh, mostly uh, older generation than me, and I'm kinda, my, I think my values are still old generation, but I heard you talk a lot about the children and less about the family and if you ask any of us here, is the family that's important? Is the focus more on the individual child versus family? What's the model that we follow today? I'm not that educated as yourself, obviously. That's a really good question. Thanks for raising that. Um, not sure, okay. We'll get out of this. Um, the key piece 
is that our eventual, the, the individuals we want to impact are the children. And the way to impact them is through the significant individuals around them. And typically those individuals are adults. So who are the relevant adults in the lives of children? Those are the multipliers. Those are the people we need to educate. Those are the people where we want to build skills. So they understand child development. They understand effective, supportive parenting practices. They understand how to access supports when they need them. And they understand how to help that child grow up. So as a service provider, our focus is on the adults around the children, if that makes any sense. And so, um, but of course still the eventual impact is on the next generation, is on the little brains. Uh, that's where we need to make a difference. Hi, my name is Lori Schultz. Peter, thank you very much for your presentation today. Um, <clears throat> I've got, um, I think, a couple of smaller questions. Um, so the increase, I'm just going to put it out there and I'd just have you answer the best you're able. Um, just uh, as full disclosure, I've worked as a child protection investigator oh, yeah. for a number of years in my, my career. Yeah, so you're familiar. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite familiar with the referral, the assessment of a family and and whatever the issues are, and then the difficulties and challenges of getting the proper on-the-ground um, resources to help them. So <clears throat> in your discussion just now, you've discussed that your client base has increased quite a significant number of years in child child uh, development stages. You've gone from zero to six to zero to 18. So I guess the one comment, and this <clears throat> comes from Maria's, uh, I get off, the, off Maria's question. I'm just trying to fathom how without further financial resources, you'll be able to accomplish that. So that's one little area you may or may not want to. The other is a moment ago you talked about great flexibility and wonderful collaboration that you've had in the past and that the community city of Lethbridge found themselves with um, a pocket of, of families and children and you together on the spot mm. assessed what the needs were and developed a very effective on the ground tool to help that. So my question to that uh, is, in this new structure, will you have that freedom, that autonomy, mm -hmm. and the flexibility to really meet on the ground realities and needs? So that's two, and I'll just polish up with question three. Um, again, coming back from my child protection days of being a case manager, and an investigator and looking to match the proper service with the family and the individual. Um, is, is, is this new structure going to be the way children's services, after they've assessed 
or whoever is going to assess them, are they going to make their referral directly to this hub and you guys go in and fix it? Sorry, I'm being a little brash there. Um, I'm, just, I'm just trying to connect, the, get a visual. So the child, the family, child protection becomes involved. There's some assessment by someone. They're referred to you. And, and that's not uncommon. When I, in my day, we, we had um, private agencies doing that as well. Um, so is that how it's going to work? Yeah, so yeah, I'll leave it I like your I've question. got yeah, a few yeah, other questions, yeah, but yeah, I'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for the for your questions. And and I think the, the first two are related and I think I can answer them um, together. Uh, the, you asked um, with reduced funding envelope and greater responsibilities, how can you um, how can you accomplish more with with less money? and will we still be able to have flexibility for collaboration? And those are directly related. And that's why this new thing is called a family resource network. So they really emphasize networking, so collaboration between organizations and between ministry, um, um, between the ministry and nonprofit service providers. So that's where they argue uh, will be that opportunity to save the money because we are set up to collaborate more effectively through this hub and spokes network. So that is the hope. And I think I'm <laughs> with Maria, I'm curious. Uh, let's see how this works, right? Let's see how we can make this work. And, um, and maybe this is what we all needed and it's going to be beautiful. Um, and uh, maybe it's the same as before with a different name and um, now we just have less money. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll work hard on making it successful for our families. The third question you had was about um, um, referral process. Yes, and I think you got it exactly. Um, that the hub is now the, it's a very clear entrance point. If you don't know, already which services you want to access, here is the place to ask that question. And this would be um, an easy entrance point for the caseworkers to say, okay, here, you know, I have this family and let's go to the hub together. Let's have a conversation with, a, with an intake worker there, our referral specialist, and talk about what do you need, where are you at, what are your current struggles, and what can we find for you to, to make it better. Um, while all this still has a clear boundary between intervention work, which is the world that, that you lived in, and the, the early intervention and prevention. Right? Those are two different things. Um, when it comes to intervention, your uh, documentation requirements as a caseworker are completely different uh, than what we do. Um, um, because families have to prove to their caseworker um, that they can provide a safe home for their children. And our engagement is completely voluntary and not mandatory and not tied to any, um, any um, uh, follow-up actions that we have no control over the life of families, whereas uh, uh, the caseworker uh, does. So, yes, the hub will provide that link. Thanks for the questions. 
Mary Shillington, I'm a retired clinical social worker from 15 years at Lethbridge Family Services. Uh, so I worked with the adults who, who went through trauma as children. So I know that end of it. Um, I guess I'm very concerned about this new system, which probably isn't new at all, but anyway. Uh, I would like to know what you see you will not be able to do, what kind of programs you will not be able to do when this new system is in place. Thank you. Um, the, um, right now, what? Right now, I'm. I think I'll be much better at answering that in a month from now, when I know what uh, what the government thinks about that uh, question, and uh, which services they would like to purchase from us, and which ones uh, they say uh, they don't, um, because we're just a, a vendor to the government at that level. Right? Um, the one thing that I know is already out of scope. Um, is professional development for professional caregivers. So the government has made a very clear point um, that the funding will go to families and the, 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 the caretakers of individuals, uh, of, the, of the children specifically, and not to professional supports. So right now, for example, we have um, an opportunity for early childhood educators and and professional caregivers, whether that's kindergarten teachers or another nonprofit program uh, facilitator, um, to access supplies and um, develop, um, develop their programming. So we support those people who support young children professionally. And we know that we will not be able to continue that program through government funding. So it's that professional development that will be um, falling away through that new mechanism. Um, I guess another question. So right now, as it stands, or as your agency operated, if, um, you know, if uh, a parent uh, was, had a concern for their child, they could just sign up for a course. There didn't have to be any child protection involvement at all. So my question is, Will the family um, center still be able to offer that to the community as, as family and parent and child support classes and programs? Um, and just a comment, so that's my question, just a comment. So <clears throat> when child protection is involved, uh, there may very well be a court order that will have a case plan attached and there will be it, it it may not be as voluntary in that respect but anyway yeah Thank you. absolutely yeah um so the um the, so the government at both levels of government actually the city as well as the province have identified the need for universal programming um and is that primary prevention and then targeted and intensive, uh, which then has more specific entrance, entrance requirements, where I can just walk in as a parent with my two-year-old and say, hey, I want to do this parent-child playgroup, um, where, where a certain level of need um, is to be documented before that valuable, costly service will be provided to that family. I'm not, this is part of the plan, 
I'm curious to see how that plays out in practice. Um, there are those questions that are being raised and um, it is something um, that many service providers, I think, um, are very cautious, and, and, and I know we are very cautious, I can speak for us, we are very cautious at, at creating specific, specific entrance requirements um, because we, we do not want to turn away a family that is clearly in need, but they somehow, for whatever reason, can't check off all the boxes, right? We don't want to create red tape for families that need it. Um, but there is a clear, um, there's a clear idea by government that they need to target their investment to those most in need. And <coughs> I think there will be some sort of mechanism. I don't know yet what it will look like. And for Family Center, it depends on each ag agency. We are a strong on the universal side that we do have some targeted programs. So we'll have to see how that plays out for us more, more specifically. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Carol Sakia. I just want to start with a comment that you said this is not a political matter. And I think I want I'm going to believe that you have to say that. But this is a hell of a political matter. And it's evidenced by you coming here today and explaining the difference. Now, it may be a reworked thing from 40 years ago, but whatever. So that's my thing. But I want to know how much your agency serves First Nations families in the city. And I know uh, Opacossin does something, but do they do everything that you do except they do it for First Nations families? And then I'd also like you to speak to the funding because I wonder if Opacossin maybe gets some federal money that your agency doesn't get. Good, thank you. Thanks for those questions. Um, I fully agree with you that this is a very political matter because we have to find uh, the right way to strike a balance. What I want to emphasize is that this is an opportunity for a unifying moment in our political discussion. I don't think our children should become the battleground for divisiveness. And I think we all need to consider what is at stake and get our act together and work on this together. Um, and I don't believe in scoring cheap political points um, over, over this kind of um, um, uh, issue. But it is very political in nature, I agree with you. Um, Opogasin and indigenous um, participation. Um, Family Center is, uh, sits at an indigenous participation that reflects the community um, average. Um, so at about 6% um, of our community self-identify as indigenous in Lethbridge, according to the most recent census, 2016. Um, and that is sort of the overall ballpark where we are sitting. Depending on programs, it shifts. So our early childhood education programs are typically less frequented. Um, by indigenous individuals, uh, parent education and family support more strongly. The community kitchen uh, sees quite a bit of indigenous participation as well, um, above the community average. So it depends on which program, but overall we sit at the demographic average. Now, 
Obogasin is a wonderful organization. We've worked with them for many, many years. We work closely together. Um, we love each other dearly. And um, they definitely get uh, funding uh, from a variety of sources um, and um, not only the sources that, that we get funding from, absolutely. Um, the, the mini, the, the, the 10 second explanation of Obogasin is, or the relationship between Obogasin and Family Center is, they do the same thing but for indigenous, or we do the same thing, but for non-indigenous, you can say that. Uh, but when it comes down to the detail, there are some differences. Um, they understand themselves more as an early intervention organization. Family preservation is a specific um, topic there. They have an, um, an early care, they have a, a daycare they're running right now. So they have differences in programming, absolutely. Um, but we work closely together with them and um, um, I really appreciate them as a, as a really significant force in our community, and I think they add much. Um, and I think um, being able to strengthen them would be, seeing, seeing them um, flourish in our community is, is important and will be important for our indigenous community. We have time for one last question. Hi, my name is Margaret Tichero. I'm with Victim Services. Uh, my question is, um, if we do any referrals from our clients to you, do you have, um, is it a nine to five, or do you also do evenings with families because they work and it's a tough situation sometimes? Isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that question. Should have, should have uh, offered you a dessert for asking that question. Um, no, um, yes, absolutely, right? Um, Removing any barriers to access is super important. And looking at the time when families are available to access services is critical. And so that's why we are open from 8.30 till 8.30 from Monday to Thursday. And on Friday we close at 4.30 and we are opening, we are open Saturday mornings from 8.30 till 12. So that working families, working individuals with their children have an opportunity to access our services, absolutely. I had asked you earlier if you could think of one, one question or topic for people to think about on their way home and during this week. That's great, thank you. And let me scroll to this thing. And I think, whoa. The question I want us and I want you to continue to consider is how do we strike the balance between crisis and prevention? I don't think there are any, an any easy, easy answers on this and I think that's why we need to keep asking that question and we need to keep reevaluating where we are at as a community and what is the right balance right now and how do we keep that balance flexible so that we can respond when stuff happens like Bhutanese refugees, like a fentanyl crisis. Join with me in thanking our speaker, Peter.